This episode is brought to you by NordVPN. Listen up, nerds. No. Good evening, Mr. and Mrs. America, from border to border and coast to coast and all the ships at sea. What? Hello, friends. Do you have a computer? Of course you do, because it's not 1987. Hell, you're listening to this on some kind of computer right now. But do you have a VPN? Oh, (laughs) what's a VPN, you ask? Well, my friend, a VPN is a virtual private network and it offers two key benefits. Enhanced privacy and security online. But VPNs do a lot more than that. VPNs shield your IP address, change your browsing location, and make online life easier. It's all about safety and security, my friends. But, like everything else in life, it's also about watching TV. Don't let your paid subscriptions go to waste. I use NordVPN to access my home content while I'm traveling. Wink, wink. Plus, secure your connection on public Wi-Fi in airports, hotels, cafes, anywhere you go when you're traveling. There's over 6,300 servers in 111 countries, and you can find a nearby server for the best VPN speeds. NordVPN is easy to use. Connect with one click or enable auto-connect for zero-click protection. And it's got amazing speed. NordVPN is one of the fastest VPNs out there. And with just one NordVPN account, you can use it on six devices. It supports every major platform, Windows, Android, iOS, Mac OS, Linux, and even Android TV. I think those are all real. Don't miss out on all the awesome benefits for using a VPN. Go to nordvpn.com ifanboy today for a risk-free 30-day money-back guarantee. The link's in the show notes. Once again, that's nordvpn.com ifanboy. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. Um, you ever feel like you really need to get something off your chest? This is this this is a, like a real thing. Like, if you're mad, if you're upset, if uh, if there's something going on, like the I, there's there's often for me an idea. Maybe it's a wrong. Maybe it's a moment. It's it's an injustice. It's something that because you, you keep going on and on over and over in your mind about it, and like that can create anger and resentment or shame, whatever it is. And very often. I have found, I am not a therapist, I have found that when you let it out, when you give it voice, when you say it out loud, um, sometimes it makes you feel better because you've, you've expressed it. And sometimes it makes you realize like, oh, this is not a big deal that I've, it's been stuck in my head. So you give voice to those things um, and it can make you feel a lot better. And shock of all shocks, therapy is one of those things that can help you do that. It can help you be able to say those things in a place where you don't need to worry about the repercussions of it, work your way through it, uh, figure out coping skills, how to get around it, you know, find, find ways to deal with that stuff instead of letting it fester. Um, if you are thinking of starting therapy, uh, if anything I said sounds familiar, you're like, oh, maybe my life would be a little better if I could deal with that kind of thing. You should give BetterHelp a try. It's fully online. It is convenient, flexible. It is suited to your schedule. That's the idea. That's what they're going for. Um, you can fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist. That's a big deal. You can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. That that personal connection, I believe, to be super important. Again, I'm not a professional. Uh, get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash iFanboy today. You get 10% off your first month. That is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash iFanboy. This is iFanboy Media Explode, episode 17. One, two, three o'clock, four o'clock, rock. Five, six, seven o'clock, eight o'clock, rock. Nine, ten, eleven o'clock, twelve o'clock, rock. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. What you should add, right? So join me, home. We'll have some fun when the clock strikes one. We're going to rock around the clock tonight. We're going to rock, 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 till the rock daylight. We're going to rock, we're going to rock around the clock tonight. Hello, welcome to my Fanboy Media Explode, episode 17. My name is Connor Kilpatrick. I'm here with Josh Flanagan. Hey there. And Ron Richards. Hey, how's it going? And Media Explode is the show unlocked by the patrons over at patreon.com slash ifanboy. It's our monthly non-comics media show in which we talk about the things we're doing outside of the world of comics, which is a lot. We are multifaceted with multi-interests. <laughs> we are not one thing. <laughs> so we like to start the show off by talking about what it is we've been watching or listening to or whatever in the past month since we last talked. Ron, why don't you start us off? All right. So I've got a couple things I want to talk about. One is a negative, one is a positive. But I feel like before I do any of that, I think we should acknowledge something that all three of us should be listening to, Uh which is the return of one of our favorite podcasts. That is true. Mates is back. Mike and Tommy Snacks. They're back. Tom Cavanaugh is Are they back back or are they just back for one? They're back. Have you listened to it yet? No, not yet. As far as I understand, they're back, 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 back. They're on a new podcast network. They're on the Starburns network. So I think they're back, back. They've got new album art. So I think they're going for well, it. Tom's off Flash, so he's got time now. Yeah. 
Exactly. The new episode is pistachios. And I will say that. Weird choice. Yeah. And they talk about that. They discuss that. But uh, it was a good episode. It was it was like old times. It was like it was like returning to a comforting time in your life built around food (laughs) and lots of Kavanaugh yelling. All right. In the good way. So all you mateys out there, ratings, stormtroopers, everything. (laughs) Ratings. I do like that they've kept the same format. You know, of course, it's the PERS system, right? Pick a snack, eat a snack, rate a snack. But I like how they get into ratings and then they do the last rating and they're like, see you next week. And that's it. Like, there's no banter at the end. It's just done once they've rated. So I I listened to that while mowing the lawn today. So I was glad that Mates is back. That's number one. So what do you want? Do you want the negative review or the positive review? Negative. 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 Then positive. This is going to shock you. Are both of you sitting down? Yes. I'm here. So Disney Plus came out with a docu-series called Behind the Attraction. Uh Uh-oh. And it's produced by the people who do the movies that make us and the toys that made us at Netflix. Yeah. I was so excited for this because, as you as you guys know, I'm a big Disney Parks fan. They released five episodes. Docs. And I love those docs. I think they're great. Yeah. I don't know if they're docu-series or reality or like whatever it is. Yeah. Like, you know, and what I found out is, is that. My attitude for the history of Disney parks does not align with the tongue-in-cheek, fast editing, zinger-laden, ah. out-of-context quotes format of that show. <laughs> so when it's something oh, you really care about, you get pissed. Exactly, exactly. Which is funny. <laughs> it's not because enough of the romance. That's a they, big they, part of it for you. They just came out with the new movies that made us, and there's I think there's Back to the Future. And they're like there's a whole and I'm like I can't wait to watch them. And I was like, why is it? It's the same approach. It's the same. Where like someone says something funny and they just keep showing it at every point out of context, but like to drive the re- repetitive joke, like that sort of thing. But for some reason, it's just like we watched the first one. and I was like, oh, this isn't good. Oh, no. Watched the rest of them. They did get better. The first episode was particularly bad, but they did get a little better. Uh-huh. Part of it is that I know a lot of the history that they're talking about. And so, like, I kind of was, well, actually, it wasn't like, the, you know, like it was. Kind oh, of, yeah. No, you can't do that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I know that with the movie stuff, too. So I, 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 it's fascinating to see why the, the same format applied to a different subject matter could make me feel so radically different. Hmm. But that said, they just announced the next five that they're going to release, and I'll watch them. I'll still watch them. (laughs) But uh, I was shocked that I did not love it. Like, if you're into this stuff, and if if you're listening, you probably watched the Imagineering story on Disney Plus that came out right when Disney Plus came out. It was a documentary about Imagineering that was much more. It had reverence. It had respect. Like this felt like it didn't have respect for the subject. No respect. No respect. So that's something I watched. I was excited about that, that. I was disappointed by. But I will. The thing I was excited to find was a whole bunch of my friends or people I know in the music scene were talking about a documentary called At the Matinee, which was a, a documentary about the New York hardcore scene around CBGBs in the 80s, where they used to have these Sunday matinees. You know, a show would start at like three o'clock, and four or five bands would play, and it'd, you know, it'd be cheap to get into, and it became like the scene. Like everyone went to the shows, and like that's where. You know, Warzone and and Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today and Bold and all those bands of those era kind of went and played. It it was a really, really well done documentary. Had everybody that needed to talk to was talked to. Had a lot of great archival photos and footage of like that 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 time period, the '80s, and old shots of CBGBs and the Bowery back in the day. But Josh, where I found this was because like everyone was talking about the documentary, and I went to go watch it. It's not wasn't streaming anywhere. The only place it's streaming was on an app that I've never heard of, which now I've added. They, they have a Google TV app, so I added it to my TV. It's called Quello, Q-E-L-L-O. It's actually called Quello Concerts, and it is just a live concert streaming service. Oh my and, God. and it is it and it and it, and a bit, yeah. it so it's it's eleven ninety nine twelve bucks a month, right? So you gotta really be into it. But they have every music documentary you can think of. And then they have all these live music performances. But like when you go to the website, and go look at it. There's a lot of like, you know, Paul McCartney and Red Hot Chili Peppers and Led Zeppelin, like mm-hmm. stuff you to exist. But like I, you know, search for it. You know, I'm searching right now. I'm going to search for you, Josh. I'll do Dinosaur Jr. Mm-hmm. And there are Dinosaur Jr. playing Bug live at the 930 Club. I have and that on vinyl. D- Dinosaur Jr. in Berlin live. There's a Jay Masick said live at Spedelgen Festival. Like there's multiple of many of the bands that we all like. And I was like, oh, wow, this is you really know, interesting. So, have, yeah. do you know about YouTube? 
Yes. <laughs> because it turns out there are quite a lot of well-shot live that's shows fair. there, you know? Yeah, that's fair. But I just thought it was interesting. It was, it was a nice yeah, no, discovery. It's, it's, it is I'm, interesting. I, I'm going to cancel it after the month I watched the documentary. I wanted to see. I'm sure. going to cancel it. But for now, I'm like, well, I paid. Let me just see what's in there, you know? Oh, so, yeah, no. I, I totally yeah. get that. It was just neat. So I thought uh, anybody who's into music might want to check out Quello concerts. That's where I watched I mean, uh, I, Live at the Matinee from. So. There was definitely a real point where I realized, like, I was like, I'd like to see this band live. And you just search on YouTube and like, oh, every oh, yeah. band has 100 shows and they're not like shitty cell phones. She's like, they're just there. And it's the best. Yeah. Before we move on, I'm going to throw a curveball this month. Oh, wow. Ron, are you reading anything right now? Well, you know, I finally finished The Big Goodbye, which mm. is a book that you got me for Christmas, which yep. is the, basically about the making of Chinatown. Right. That's the most recent thing I've read, and I haven't decided what I'm going to read next. So you just finished that. I just finished it. Correct. All right. Good job. Thanks. So since we last talked, I had been mostly watching the Olympics. So when the Olympics is on, I basically don't watch anything else unless there's it's a very important Ted Lasso or the good fight or whatever. But everything else sort of falls by the wayside while the Olympics are on for the two weeks. So that that took up the two out of the four weeks since we last spoke. But I, there was a show I took a flyer on and ended up enjoying on HBO called Small Town News KPVM Parump. Oh, I'd, wow. I'd seen these billboards around town. I was like, what the fuck is that? It was a six-part documentary series, 30 minutes each, about this independently owned news station in Pahrump, Nevada, KPVM. They're not a broadcast station. They're a digital station, so like 25.3, whatever. If, I don't remember. Ron, you used to have a, yep. a HD antenna. So you'd get the digital channels. I used to have that in New York. Yeah, the, the, with HD over the air, yeah. you have point point channels. So there would be you know channel 25.1, 0. 0.2, 0. 0.3, and there would be different channels at yes. the points too. Yeah so. yeah, so this is 25.3 or whatever, something like that. And it was enjoyable on a lot of levels. One, you know, the three of us studied television making in, in college, and it felt very much like that, you know, it's these wacky people making TV in, in the desert in Nevada on this channel that probably not a lot of people are watching. And, you know, in our college station, we, we had a TV studio that we made TV on that the whole town could watch. You know, the, our station went out to the whole town. And so it felt very much like that atmosphere of we're just going to do whatever, whatever we need to do to make this work. And it was very interesting because it happened during the, during the election and the owner of the station's like super Trump supporter and the, the news manager is a Democrat. And so there was a lot of interesting stuff going on there. It was just a very kind of goofy look at these five or six people running this small channel that's probably cool. self-sufficient in the middle of the desert in Trump, Nevada, trying to make the news work. People come and go because they can't afford salaries. and It's hard. It was funny, though. Like it was interesting and, yeah. and, and you kind of – it was endearing and – you kind of, you really wanted them to succeed. One of the big storylines is they get a new signal booster, and so they can get picked up in Las Vegas. So that's like a big deal for them. And so, you know, they're expanding their market. It was really fascinating. It was thirty minutes. You could, could knock it out, and it was just like these kind of goofy middle-aged people running a TV station. Cool. I never even heard of this. I hadn't heard of it other than seeing a billboard on one of my drives around town. It's called Small Town News KPV and Perump. It's going to be on HBO Max if you're at all interested in sort of the behind the scenes of TV making. And it felt very much like. Our time in college, just making TV is the best way you can. And I'm reading right now, I'm about halfway through The Good Shepherd, written by C.S. Forrester. This is the novel that the Tom Hanks movie Greyhound was based on. Oh. And I picked that up recently. Uh, it's not that long, like 250 pages. And I was like, oh, I should check that out. It's, it's basically much like the movie in that it's like unrelenting Navy tactics. Very, very, very tactical. And there's, there's no, like, no chapter breaks. And it just so he's he's got it broken up by it's shift. Just the ship's log. It's the shifts, so it's like day shift, mid shift, night shift. Right. But the shifts go like for fifty pages. So I'm just like, come on, man, give me a break in the story here. I gotta go to bed. If you're all interested, I think Josh, you might like it. It's just it's very like mm -hmm. tactical. You know why why they move the ship a certain way and depth charge battles and tactics with that and it just jumps you right in. It's just I, I'm stressed out really because like U boats, U boats, U boats, U boats. <laughs> I'm enjoying that book quite a bit right now, Josh. What are you doing? What do you want? I feel like I should talk about books a little bit. Books after at the end. What have you been watching? Let's see. Uh, the thing I was, it's funny. I, I guess I talked about this a little in our hangout because I was like, what was the other thing I was going to talk about? And it was that I went to a live comedy show, right. uh, which you guys know. Uh, I went and saw John Mulaney in Boston at the Wilbur. He's doing a very long stand there and we bought tickets a while ago. And as we got closer, it was like, should we go do this thing? But we did. We put our masks on and we went and... 
it was weird at first it, because you're sitting there and you're waiting for this thing to start and you're like, all right, get on with it. I don't want to sit here. But sort of when it starts, you feel normal, which is the same thing has happened a couple of times that I've been to the movies. Right. But there is a point in live comedy about an hour in where you're like, all right, wrap it up. Because you can't laugh for that long. You know, he's really funny and it was incredibly earnest and he's not skipping around the details or the story of his last year and change. And it's very honest. It's been um, dramatic. It was, it was, he's had a year. That's yeah. For sure. Yeah. And he doesn't sidestep any of that at all. He doesn't talk about his marriage. He didn't talk any of that stuff, but he talked about, you know, his addiction. He talks about being a junkie. He talks about having an intervention and it was really funny. And then the last like 25% was a little more, um, straight up stand up where he was just talking about like, uh, things that make him a bad person. He goes like, I know we're supposed to believe science and I think we should get the vaccines and all that. But if you put a gun to my head right now and ask me if the world was flat, I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) It was like, you're telling me that they went and they found a dinosaur bone and they managed to put the whole skeleton together. If Wayfair sent you a crate and you had to put your credenza together without instructions, you couldn't do it. It was funny. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. He certainly hasn't lost a step in that way at all. And, you know, as I saw Aziz Ansari's show after he came back from his thing, which was a much more low-key affair than Mulaney's, but I've seen a couple of these now where, like, they have to deal with the stuff that's happened to them outside of the stage. And it was impressive. It was, you know, it was Richard Pryor lighting himself on fire. It was Dignitaro, I have cancer. It, you know, and you just hope he's going to be okay and be able to maintain because he's just a crazy talent. So that was fun. I'm glad I did it. I wouldn't buy tickets to do it again, but since I already had the tickets and I was like, this is, a, you know, this isn't going to happen a lot. Mm-hmm. Me and my wife are really big fans of his. The other thing I wanted to mention is I had to get a trial of Cinemax so that Don't I could you watch mean, the movie you mean that we are going to talk about later. You, you mean Skinamax? I guess. You know, it was three dollars on Apple. That's what we used to call it on. Uh, I know, in, but it was high school. It was three dollars on my Apple TV to just say yes, turn this on. <laughs> so three is less than three. Yeah, and it's three I less. wasn't sure. I wasn't sure how long it was going to take me to watch it, and I didn't want to run out of the twenty-four hours or whatever I had. So, anyway, whatever. I was looking at Cinemax. Like, well, what's on here? And I was like, ooh, late night. No, I didn't do that. Because <laughs> so Showtime also has porn. a late night section, by the way. And also there's this thing on the internet called porn, and that makes that stuff completely useless. Wow, all right. Anyway, I was looking at sort of the stuff on Cinemax, and I saw Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. And I thought, oh, I had heard about this. And it's Mike Judge of you know Beavis and Butthead and Silicon Valley and King of the Hill and all that. And he produces and narrates this show about tales of mostly country, but also some rock folks. He gets all the people's friends together and tells you know the stories of that artist. So the first one was Johnny Paycheck, the guy who did mm-hmm. Take This Job and Shove It, yep. and how incredibly like, he was a criminal. <laughs> he, was, he was a real piece of shit. And you have like all the guys in his band are interviewed first person, and the first person narration and stuff is all animated, like over top of the images. So it's like Mike Judge looking animation, but the documentary footage and pictures and stuff are real, and it's all first person accounts. And then Mike Judge sort of narrates a little. When he speaks, it's funny, even if he's not trying to be. It's kind of impossible not to be, you know. And then they did two parts on George Jones, and there was one on Jerry Lee Lewis. There's two full seasons of it, and at the very end, they sort of peel away the animation and you can see the people who are there talking i mean but the stories are insane you know these nashville guys from the 60s and 70s holy shit yeah you know and the jerry lee lewis stories they're crazy and it's just a great great show where like this one guy who has power in hollywood is like i'd like to do a show like this and they do it and because it's on cinemax probably no one will ever see it but it was delightful it was such a fun thing to discover and be able to watch so i will probably pay for the rest of cinemax for a month so i can finish them because there's two seasons wow nice that and watch the nudie shows sure do they still have the nudie shows is it still valid in terms of a uh, term let's see the problem is that the association with the name is so strong in that direction yeah there's just no getting around it i hear cinemax and i think of Late night movies. That's I just there's yep. no other, yep. no other association with it. That's kind of the thing. But you know the fact is like they all you know HBO had them and they actually got rid of them in a certain right. But the point. thing is they were known for it. 
That was the, yeah, was, I know. The, the, yeah. the, 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 the branding well is aware. a problem. Yeah. Yeah. What are you no, reading right you now, Josh? Cinemax. I'm sort of in between my comics bouts. I'm reading through Made Men, The Story of Goodfellas by Glenn Kenny. Mm-hmm. That um, might be the next one I read. I haven't read that well, yet. you know, like I, I, I am reading going, boy, I wish this was out in 2016. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we referenced um, at all in that book? Uh, not so far. It's oh, um, a shame. It's good. It's not like amazing. And we know bits of it, but it's fun and it's good to go back and reference this stuff. And like, I, I, there's not a ton in here that I'm like, I can't believe that. There is stuff that I have forgotten. Does it make you want to go back and watch it again? I mean, wait, th- that doesn't take a lot. <laughs> It's a little more... We should mention that for people who don't know, we did a podcast about Goodfellas. Yes. Four years well, ago. Goodfellas called Goodfellas Minute. Minute. So check that out on the internet if you're curious. So, the, I mean, the thing is, it's called Made Men, the Story of Goodfellas. In my mind, that meant it was about the making of Goodfellas. And it is to a certain extent. What's it about? Because I, I have it on my two reach stack, too. It's the whole s- story of everything. Like, you know, it's sort of like what we it's did. Just, it's, just, it's just Wise Guy by Nicholas Pelleggi. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, like, you, fact, you, take, the, you take the cover and off and, and, and the underneath it says Wise Guy. Story and, you know, and, and, you know, Scorsese's relationship with Ileana Douglas and how she, you know, like, it's yeah. all sort of, you know, what De Niro was like with the things that he'd get mad about. Is Scorsese's mother in there? She will. I'm not that far. I also, I've been burning through audiobooks because my dog's been walking a lot lately. And I did um, the newest Andy Weir book. Mm hmm. Operation Hail Mary, which I think, Connor, you read. I just finished it, yeah. How was that? <laughs> it's fucking great. I loved it. It's much yeah, better than I, the disaster that the second book was. Yes. He very consciously returns to The Martian. Yeah, it's the thing that he does, but it's a different story, and it's pretty goddamn imaginative, and it really turns into a, a really great buddy story, I thought. I loved it. And I'm now I'm listening to um, Chrissy Hines' memoir, as oh, read by the, you know, from Pulp Fiction, the one with all the shit in her face? She narrates yeah. it. No, but it's like like her story is nuts and she was there in like the 70s you know in britain for the punk coming up through there and it's it's a hell of a you know why i started listening to it is because i was listening to jason narducey on uh turned out a punk and he's like she has the craziest rock story i've ever heard and so i immediately was like oh i'll check that out and it's worth it cool All right, so that's what we've been enjoying. And so one of the things we've been talking about amongst ourselves we wanted to do is a classic film segment. We've been mentioning amongst ourselves films we could review going into the past and looking back on... Don't we have a, a name for this We segment? do have a name for it. So we decided it's Old Men on Old Movies. <laughs> that's what we are. That's what they are. And so Ron suggested we kick it off with American Graffiti from 1973, written and directed by George Lucas, uh, covered by Gloria Katz and Willard Kayuk, and produced Hayuk. by Francis Ford Coppola. And, uh, and Kurtz. Captain Kurtz. Gary Kurtz, Kurtz. Is, is, Kurtz. A, is producer yes. on it. And I and, yeah. and think perhaps most importantly, Walter Murch on sound design. Yeah. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm not even kidding. Yeah. This is no, the yeah. only film that George Lucas directed that wasn't sci-fi? Yeah. Important in many ways pop culturally, which we'll get into. Ron, since you suggested it, why don't you take off this discussion? So the context, at least why I recommended American Graffiti, was actually is that my niece is leaving for college next week, in nope. fact. Nope, nope. Yeah, no, unfortunately no, she is. I, I can't. I, we can't deny this. She's going to third grade. Yeah. I know, barely in the third grade. And so, uh, a couple of months ago, my dad had sat down. Uh, or, my son's uh, going into second grade. No, nope. my younger one. <laughs> nope, nope. A couple of months ago, my dad sat down and made her watch Citizen Kane because it was like you got to see these movies before you go to college, whatever. And I was like, Citizen Kane is great, but like she liked it. I'm like, Citizen Kane is great, but I'm like, you got to see American Graffiti. And it actually reminded me because I remembered the night of my senior prom. Me and my friends, we just stayed out all night, right? Like I remember getting home at like 6 a.m. Yep, yep. and my dad laughing and going, "I hope you enjoyed your American Graffiti night," right? And like it's that idea of American Graffiti really created the genre of the coming-of-age, high school-age, one-night story. A night mm-hmm. in the life of a group of friends, you know, usually around graduation yep. or going to college or, like, the end of this sort of thing. And it defined that genre. And in addition to defining that genre, being such big fans of Star Wars and basically of George Lucas's work, like it's safe to say that George Lucas 
is one of the most important creators to me as well as to sure. you guys yep. in terms of you know form, I think. And the fact that everything that we've read about him through the Rinsler books, may he rest in peace. That's sad. That was a sad passing. But through all the makings of, of Star Wars and everything as stiff as, you know, faster, more intense and, yep. and as bad as The Phantom Menace was and all stuff like that, to believe that the same guy who made those movies made this incredibly personal, small, emotional, small film. There's so many angles to the prism of this movie that I find fascinating. The effect it had on pop culture that it drove a a nostalgia wave for the 50s and 60s. A decade of sitcoms. Yeah, that led to sitcoms and led to like spinoffs and all this sort of stuff. Like this movie is like such an important movie. And for years, I don't know if it still is, but for years it was the most profitable movie ever made. Because (laughs) it was made for less than a million dollars budget. Universal, who put the film out, had a program to give filmmakers, you know, like a million dollars to make a film. And it was made for like 700 and something thousand dollars. And it ended up making over 300 million dollars. So for a while, on a per profit basis, not a gross basis, but a profit base, it was the most profitable movie of all time. It was a huge film. And it's a hangout film. It's There's not like a plot. It's just you're spending time with these four guys. Kurt, Steve, John, and Terry, played by Richard Dreyfuss, Ron Howard, Paul Lamatt, and Charles Martin Smith, as they cruise Modesto, California, where George Lucas yep. grew up, on the night before Kurt and Steve are supposed to leave town and go to college. There's one thing that, like Ron had touched on, that I think is just, is we're all big Star Wars fans, yep. right? I hadn't seen this movie until I was older, in my early 20s or something like that. I'd just never seen it. And I was shocked. That was the same guy? Yeah, that it was so good in the ways that I would not have expected. That to me is always like if if anybody brings up the movie my whole life, what I go is it's so good. And it like with this bit of surprise because, you know, Star Wars is great, but in a different way, thousand percent different way. That was my thought watching this was, man, it's too bad he didn't make more of these kind of movies. Totally. Or or put this into those movies, you know, like find some way to combine. I mean, the only thing, you know, he he did. uh, Ultimately, all the movies about driving cars, even Star Wars was sure. Well, no, not that part. Just the small stories about people. He had such a good grasp on this. Yeah. I probably haven't seen this movie in 20 plus years, but it was like, wow, why didn't he make more of these? I, mean, I know why, because he was making a money bin sized bin of money for making sci-fi movies, but still, man, he had... That, he, and he's an impenetrable psyche. Right. I don't understand yeah. why he does anything he does. <laughs> yeah. It was funny, because I, talk- I was talking to a, c- a co-worker, and, there- and I mentioned that I watched it, and she was a fan of it, and she's like, you know, you know, he's really meant to make small indie films. And I was like... No, he's not. I was like, he, <laughs> he, he invented, he invented the genre. The, yeah, oh. Exactly. He invented, the, and I don't want to make this about Star Wars, but I'm like, he changed cinema with Star Wars in terms of special effects and all this sort of stuff. Like, he's the, he's you the, know, like, he's the tent pole. He's the reason that we talk about box office and there are tent exactly. pole movies. Exactly. And what's interesting is you know, this movie had a hard road to get made. Like, yeah. Universal First didn't want to make it and then didn't want to release it after he made it. I mean, the only reason it got made in the first place was because Coppola came on to produce the year after The Godfather. So it immediately yeah. got greenlit. And then when they screened it, they were like, fuck this movie. You know, the, the executives, they didn't want to release it at all. So it almost didn't come out at all. It almost just got put on yeah. a shelf. It wasn't yeah. guaranteed because, it, it's again, it's a hangout film. It's like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. There isn't a driving plot line. It isn't like Steve needs to get something. It's like they're all just sort of hanging out and doing their own thing for you know an hour and a half. And it's not like the normal film. Yeah, it's that it's a time movie where it's like you see them when they all get together when the night starts and then it ends the next day like and and that's all that happens you know Connor going back to your the budget stuff or whatever but like it just made so much money yeah ridiculous and like they kept on re-releasing it and it kept on making more money like they re-released it in seventy eight with Dolby Sound and it it made another sixty million like it's right. it's like. It's well, it, it kicks off the boomer nostalgia, right? So, yes, like, yes. you know, then, then, you know, 10 years later, you have the big chill, which is sort of the other side of the coin of this story. But, like, you know, you have, again, this leads to sitcoms all about the, the 50s and 60s and Laverne and Shirley and Happy Days and all these things that come out of this movie. Now, Happy Days, the pilot was before the movie, but the pilot didn't get picked up. But it, then it got picked up after the success of this film. Like, it's all very complicated. But this leads to an entire decade of boomer nostalgia which is a huge you know money-making aspect of it what really struck me about that is that this takes place in 1962 
And the aesthetic of this is really what I think we would normally, what we used to associate with the 50s. Yeah, like, you know, 50s, like this yeah, isn't yeah. what you would think of as the 60s, but this is but the it's, end of but that. It's the, it's the end of that. That's what's right, great. But, like, but, and it's on the right. eve, it's like, it's on the eve of everything turning to shit. Well, right. Is, so yeah. we are in 1962, which means that the next year, everything changes. Yeah. 1963, yes. Kennedy is killed, and that era, that post war baby boomer era is over. Yep. yep. And so this is the last fling. Before they move to that thing. And Dreyfus, a Jewish New York City kid living in Modesto, <laughs> is, is <laughs> you know, he's the guy who's like, well, should we move on? And, like, he is representative of the things that come after, and he doesn't want to go. Yeah. Right. And he can't decide if he should or not. And, by the way, this is a kid who's probably never been on a plane. He takes off in the end. He doesn't even think about it. Anyway, by the way, they drive right onto the tarmac. Right. Oh, yeah. That's yeah, crazy. <laughs> like, there's a fence, but then they walk around the fence. I was like, what is going on here? There's four kids. Kurt, played by Richard Dreyfuss, who is leaving the next day to college. His buddy, Steve, is Ronnie Howard, who Ronnie is Howard. like the, the popular kid at school. Class president. His girlfriend sort of is played by Cindy Williams from Laverne and Shirley, and they're sort of breaking up because he's about to go to college. He realizes, I want to bang a lot of people in college. Well, so also, not only it's Richard Dreyfuss's sister, right? Is Ron That's Howard's also girlfriend. So, yeah, so, yeah, so there, there's that relationship. And there. Paul Lamatt is the greaser. He's the Fonz character. Who's older? The reason why they added the Fonz to the Happy Days was because of Paul Lamatt's character in this movie. He's Matthew McConaughey. Charles yeah, Martin no, Smith is Terry, and he's sort of the n- younger nerd of the group. And so they, Ter- they end Terry up starting together and then splitting off into four different storylines yep. throughout the course of the night. And then coming back together. And people like Harrison Ford has makes a small appearance and Wolfman Jack. Harrison Ford, he's talking with a Fargo accent for some reason. <laughs> yeah. The thing that I understand is that it takes place in California, but it takes place in Modesto. Right. Right. And it takes place. This is Modesto this is, is of Cal- east of San Francisco. No. Yeah. East and south of San Francisco. Yeah. And like, yeah. And you Central got Stock- Valley. Stockton and Central Valley, which was then and is still now a lot of farm and all this sort of stuff. And what had happened was that Lucas grew up there and there was nothing to do except get into hot rods and cruise and And drive up and down and and drag race and that sort of thing. And so like, you know, yeah, so so it's just like pod racing. So Harrison Ford, who plays Bob Falfa, is you know the latest hot shot hot rodder who comes looking to beat the best, who is um, John. Uh, Milner, John Milner, and of course he's going to be a hay- he's got a hayseed hat, cowboy hat, and yeah. and got a. Well, he's got the hat because Harrison Ford didn't want to cut his hair. Yeah, that's why he has that. Some enchanted evening, which is Weird, the best. <laughs> there are two moments in the film that are my favorite, and there's that. It's the scene with Harrison Ford and Cindy Williams awkwardly as he's trying to like, <laughs> like. It just, it just I don't understand the, why she got in that car. Because she it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But it's, um, it's stupid. Can, you know but, what? You, you said it though. My favorite. I think my favorite moment in the in the movie is the very beginning when Terry tries to park his scooter, which is a mistake. It was a, it was a it was a mistake, and they left it in the movie. Well, so, so right, it was a mistake, but it told everything yes. you needed to know about that character immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so here's oh. the thing: is that this movie is filled with so many things like that. My favorite favorite part of the movie is, and I'll tell you why, and it ties right into what you're saying, Josh, is that throughout the movie, the soundtrack is just amazing. It was like one of the first movies that really like the soundtrack no was a character. Yeah, yeah no it had score. an amazing, sc- you know, like it was great, and it was all done in diegetic sound as everyone is listening to Wolfman Jack on the radio. So the first thing that I say to people is that, A, that movie is amazing. And the second one is it is my favorite sounding movie of all time. Walter Murch, I'd mentioned, I love the way this movie is. I spend the whole time just going, listen to that. Because all of the sounds, diegetic means it's a thing that's happening in the world they're in. It's not non-diegetic, which is when the orchestra comes in or John Williams kind of thing. And... Right. All the sound is natural, and it's yep. so unusual. And and so what's great is that it's a, in this time period where like all the kids are listening to Wolfman Jack on the radio. And if you don't know about Wolfman Jack, he was a legendary DJ, and there was all these rumors about whether it was a pirate station or not, and how it did, and stuff like that. It plays into it. George Lucas got Wolfman Jack to do all the the talking in between the radio bits and stuff like that. And ultimately, because uh, Richard Dreyfuss's plot line is that he sees a a blonde played by Suzanne Summers of Three's Company fame in a white T-bird and she smiled at him and he's looking for any excuse to not go to college. And she he says, I love to, you also. Yeah, but, he, but he's like bemoaning that he hasn't met the love of his life yet and where is the woman that will wow him and he thinks it's her and so the whole night is spent chasing her and so finally he, in, a, in a bit of desperation he drives to the edge of town to the radio station thinking that that's where Wolfman Jack is to try to get a dedication out there 
and he meets the engineer in the radio station who's like, yeah, man, no, Wolfman Jack, he just he comes in, drops off the tapes, I play him and blah, blah. But in that scene, when he walks in, Wolfman Jack is eating a popsicle. And the naturalness of this where he's like, he walks in and it's like four in the morning, three in the morning. And he's like, hey, you want a popsicle? I got the fridge broke. I got a fridge full of them. You want one? And like, <laughs> and then later on so, when they go, to, they go to shake hands, they shake hands and Richard Dreyfus kind of rubs his hands after they shake and he goes, ah, sticky little buggers, aren't they? These popsicles. Oh man, I'm going to be eating them all night. And like this thing that is so realistic and not part of the story natural. at all, but but natural and gives it so much weight and so much depth to it. I just love that entire scene, and it's because of the popsicles. And that, yeah. the part of, of the thing that makes sense that it's George Lucas is that he always talks, he's like experimental films or whatever, and yeah. what you're talking about there is extremely experimental for the yeah. time. That naturalistic stuff that's taken from French cinema, that is, you know, stuff that American movies didn't do is to just let you be there in a moment. And, you know, that's the part of George Lucas. That's the guy that he always said he wanted to be. And odd, that's the first thing he had success with and then never revisited it. Yeah. Now, I know what you're saying. What I wondered is, did people know when they saw this movie that that's what Wolfman Jack looked like? Or was that like, you know, was, was that like a reveal? Probably. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I think so. Uh, yeah. He would have been yeah, featured in print ads and did. stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Plus, and you could tell his voice was so distinctive. Even oh no, I know. I mean, him. I knew it was him because we saw him a lot growing up for whatever reason. Oh, it was so good. Was. But you know, they, they go on all kind of wacky adventures. Terry meets a girl. He's driving Steve's car around, and that gets all fucked up. And then Kurt gets kidnapped by a gang at one point. And Steve's just desperately trying to break up with Lori, but also trying to sleep with her. Like, there's all kinds of things happening. He's a creep, and it's funny because he's not Richie Cunningham. No, no, like he's yeah. just a, a doofus. Yep. Can I tell you about the one anachronism that I found? Sure. The band is playing and the guy has a Fender Stratocaster and it has the oversized headstock, which didn't happen until the late 60s. Also, that guitar was beat to shit. And I was like, that guitar was five years old most. (laughs) It just was like, that's they wouldn't have had time to make the guitar look like that. But immediately I saw that oversized headstock. I was like, nope, that's not till CBS bought them in the 60s. That's impossible. So there was a lot of things about this film from a history point of view that are important like Ron said it was the first film that without a score they just had a soundtrack and it was one of the first films that showed the is entire is that true? like yeah. really the first one? it was one of I the did, first I ones. watched this and I thought Martin Scorsese like owes his career to this and Tarantino yeah yeah, yeah. and it was one of the first films that showed the entire crew in the credits you know in the, before yeah. that you just get like you know five people oh, really? in the credits and then the movie would be over this was the one, one of the first times where they showed the scroll with everybody in it Cool. A lot of experimental stuff. So it's super low budget, and they had to, you know, figure stuff out. Stuff that didn't work. Stuff for various reasons they had to figure out. What did you think of that scene where Mackenzie Phillips and uh, Milner they do the shaving cream stuff, and there's the gigantic spotlights there? Yeah, that, I was watching with my wife, and she pointed that out. But she's like, "Why are there giant spotlights next to the bank?" <laughs> I know. It's like, like, well, maybe they had those in town. I was like, you can't yeah. shine giant spotlights down yeah, a street was, at night. That was weird. That was weird. <laughs> I think that they just went with it, though. Yeah. And yeah. that dreamy quality of it makes it kind of work. Like, you notice it, but, like, it also added that sparkle to the scene that made it seem otherworldly. Yeah. How about this, by the way? The relationship between the two of them. Milner and Mackenzie Phillips. Milner and Mackenzie so for, Phillips. So those who haven't seen, I mean, if you've seen the movie, you know. But like, so John Milner is cruising. He's the he's the top dog. The the he's the, 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 you know, the cool. He's the Fonz, and he pulls up to a car full of girls, and is like, and I guess what would happen at this time period is that people would just hop in each other's cars and right. cruise with one another. And so he's like, why don't you come over? And the, and the girl's like, I can't come. I'm going steady with somebody. He's like, Judy's sister can go. He's like, well, set, bring her, bring Judy, Judy's sister, send them all over. And so Judy's sister pops out, and it's a twelve year old girl played by Mackenzie Phillips. Uh, 14, I think. Four, or 13. Or Doesn't matter. Yeah, she's young. very underage, and yeah. she seems... Also, I'm just going to get to my point in a second, but she's in a huge t-shirt and jeans, and I was like, there's not a girl in 1962 who'd be wearing a huge t-shirt. That's not how people dress. They didn't wear pants. Like, yeah, they did. Weird. yeah, they did. Yeah, they did. The, the tomboys the definitely girls? wear Girls? Yeah, yeah, yes, for sure. Yeah, no, no, it, was, it was really unusual. Tomboys definitely Tomboys definitely did. Okay, the point being that they managed to do that whole thing, and it wasn't creepy at all. No. Like, he was definitely, like, at no point was it weird. And he was like, just be over there. And then at the end, it's like, tell me you like me. He's like, all right, I, I like you. But it wasn't creepy. It was sweet. And he gives her, like, a kiss on the cheek. He pretends to hit on her to get her out of the car. Yeah. 
She won't leave his yeah. car. She was like, all right, no, well, I know let's... that, but... But I'm just, I'm just explaining. There is a moment where he, yeah, you think he's okay. Now he's going to try to sleep with her, even though she's 13. It was he, fairly obvious that he was doing the thing. Like so, but at no point are you ever like, uh, you know, you're never. He's Fonzie. Out by he's it the, all he's the greaser with the heart of gold. He's not gonna. He treats her like a little sister. He protects her. Yeah, that's laudable. And I think he was an interesting character. You know, yeah. he's he also realizes his time is running short. You know, somebody else is going to come along faster than him, and well, and that and that's what basically what happens is that so when Harrison Ford and him ultimately do race, Harrison Ford flips his car and loses, and the car blows up or whatever. But then Terry and Milliner are walking back to the car, and Terry is like, "Oh man, you beat him! You're the best!" And you know, being the the loyal nerd, yeah. and he's like, "No man, I was losing." Yeah, he's like, up until the point where he fell, I was losing. You know, like, and it's the and like what I love about that with the Milliner character is that you know you know he's older, older than all them than these kids. He keeps on calling them kids and he's feeling his age and he's feeling like the, the end of what the, the you know and, and he even he reminisces to other to other people like man it used to be you could cruise all night up and down on a tank of gas and it was like he was being remin he was being nostalgic for how the cruise scene was years ago which is fat you know which is you know I, I just thought was an interesting angle but he sees the end of it and, you know, unfortunately, he doesn't know what's around the corner. And, and when the movie does end, you know, when, you know, when Richard Dreyfus gets on the plane and Ronnie Howard doesn't, which is the reverse from what was going to happen at the beginning of the movie, yeah. we get the little what happens in the future, you, Vietnam and like all, like all that stuff kind of happens. Terry goes to Vietnam and goes missing in 65. Milner gets killed by a drunk driver in two years. Right. They're all like very and, and short Ronnie, lifespans. Yeah. And Ronnie and Howard's Cunningham just becomes a local Insurance, insurance guy never leaving the town but the the, yeah. the the unspoken implication for kurt is that he fled to canada yeah mm-hmm. he's a writer in canada that would at the time would have led you to believe he yeah he avoided the draft by, by fleeing to canada no not even that that's a, just was illegal i know i know but it, here's the thing who cares what happened to any of the women because they yeah. don't matter well because it was about <laughs> the four friends i know but they were the main characters yeah. And let's talk about Candy Clark, the first manic pixie dream girl. I found myself really liking the way this film looked, the quality of the of the color oh, yeah. with the film stock. It had the that light. sort of 60s quality to it, very saturated with the color. I thought it was beautifully shot. Sometimes yeah. very interesting angles yes. on things. Again, that's why I was like, man, why didn't he do more of these kind of things? That's the whole thing is that like my whole come away from this is like I love Star Wars, but it's just like – Oh man, like why couldn't we gotten? But but you know they did a sequel. They did more American Graffiti, which is you know like <laughs> no, it, like which is supposedly good. really bad. I don't think I've ever seen. Yeah, it. <laughs> it's it's but, supposed to be like one of the worst sequels of all time. Yeah. yeah, but this type of movie, like it's I just find it so hard to believe that Lucas was capable of doing this. You know what I also thought the whole time I was watching this was it's only two years till Richard Dreyfuss says Jaws. Yeah, like. He looks like he's aged 20 years between this movie and that movie. He does look very young in this. They do a good job of making him. I mean, he still he's nearly giant, 30 sure. in the movie as an actor, but yeah. like just the way he, he goes from looking young here to being slightly gray bearded in Jaws. Ron Howard was the only one who was actually like 19 at the time. Charles Everybody Martin else Smith was. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yeah. So this led to them deciding, no, we will pick up Happy Days, which opens in the first season with Rock Around the Clock, which this movie opens with, people think that show came out of this movie and it did in a way, but they'd already shot the pilot. But mm-hmm. it's basically a very similar aesthetic. And then Cindy Williams, of, of course, gets cast in Liver and Shirley. There's a lot of that there's a lot of, of yeah, there's a lot of yeah, yeah. So like Happy Days is based on American Graffiti, but they are but very it happened much, because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Both Connor and I could probably we could do a whole other podcast on Fonzie stories after yeah. uh, seeing her new Winkler speak a couple of years ago. But I love I love the I love the the, the the ABC standards and practices wouldn't let Fonzie on screen in a leather jacket unless the motorcycle was in the shot as well. Yeah. Because a leather jacket suggested gangs or suggested all these other things. So like that's why when you watch Happy Days, like the motorcycle being in the diner was purely to let. Fonzie still wear the jacket, which is just felt like they, they would. I remember watching as a kid. I'm like, why did he bring the motorcycle in the diner? And like now it all makes sense. <laughs> I'm reading a lot of really terrible stuff in the description of more American graffiti. This I'm yeah. just I'm this is terrible. This sounds awful. Lucas didn't make it though. Bill L. Norton wrote and directed it. Norton. And then nothing else ever again. Norton. He made nothing of ever. He made losing it in '83. Jeez. He made a Tom couple Cruise? of films I've never heard of. 
but that's, that's it like just a, sounds awful. They they retconned well, a bunch of people's storylines and didn't the didn't or or not the writer maybe the yeah the people who wrote didn't they work together on a movie like the Radioland murders or whatever that probably was that, that was probably. That, yeah Lucas produced that one yeah he didn't direct that one it's just amazing what Star Wars did to Lucas's soul to make it so that he can do I mean, these kind of movies it's, again it's Anakin and Darth Vader it's like yeah, it really is yeah yeah it's cost benefit analysis and we love Star gonna, Wars. Yeah. You're going to run your Star Wars empire rather than spend three years doing a little indie film. Yeah. The whole thing about this is I, I just think that like wh- where the net of it is, is that when you look at 70s cinema and 70s film, especially which is like after reading The Big Goodbye, Connor, and like Chinatown, all this sort of stuff, the evolution Hollywood took through the 70s is really, really fascinating. The idea that the blockbuster film didn't exist, definitely not until Star Wars and Jaws, but actually American Graffiti was like considered one of the first summer blockbuster movies, right? And so this idea that you could drive millions of dollars in box office revenue, it wasn't a thing until like 1972 or three or, so, or four or so. Oh my God. Godfather too. Yeah, the Godfather did it. Yeah, and 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 so it's just it's its place in film history is important. Yep. Again, it goes back to what I said at the top of this, which is that there are so many angles to this film of what it influenced or what role it played. And it's just the light. It's just delightful. I mean, I love Terry's storyline. Like, so Terry the Toad, you know, he so Steve, Ron Howard's character says, you know, go to college tomorrow. I want you to take care of my car. And it's just like bitching car. And so Terry takes it out and he's trying to be all cool and pick up girls. And he finds a girl who's just like a space cadet, but is awesome. And they have like a crazy night and it's that whole idea of like that, that the crazy night. Right. And it's just like, mm-hmm. it's just so much fun. And even Richard Dreyfus with the Pharaohs, with the, yeah. with the, with the gang. I love, I just like, it's just like it, the, the, this movie works on so many levels and you know, you looked to, to cinema now, cinema, but films now, but like when we were in college, you know, can't hardly wait, yep. you know, like even most recently book smart, like all these films fall under the same genre and they all lead staple. back to America. It's, yeah, it's, it's the one night before your life changes, you yeah. know, before you you leave your friends. And even there's even discussion in this movie about why should you go somewhere else and make new friends? You've already got your friends here, but that's what everyone has to go through. And that's what all those movies are about. Ultimately is you're leaving behind your childhood to become an adult. Yeah. That's what half of America didn't do. I'm reading this now, Ron, and the writers of this film, along with Lucas, they also wrote Radioland Murders and Howard the Duck. I knew it. And Temple of Doom and a bunch of other things. Totally makes sense. But even like the John Hughes movies owe this, right? Like Ferris Bueller's Day Off is this just during the day. Dazed and Confused is a direct line to this. Yeah. It's just, it's. It It starts a genre. It starts a genre of the last night of high school. Well, the, the teenager. You know, wasn't really like this is the era that like birthed the teenager age or two. And people yeah. don't really understand that, that prior to World War Two, like the idea of a teenager wasn't a thing. It was afterwards when in the 50s when there was, you know, yeah, yeah. relative a- affluence and time that like there was something known as a teenager. You could cruise the strip instead of working the farm. Yeah. You know, you had, yeah. you were you were able to spend all night cruising around in your fucking awesome cars instead of getting up early to work the cows because. You didn't. You had to before then. You now there was prosperity. You could do that, depending on who you were. Yeah, of course. The cars were great. The music yeah. was great. The aesthetic around it was awesome, and this, of course, led to the Mel's Diner chain that yep. you see in Southern California and San Francisco. And San Francisco, yeah, that didn't exist. Mel's Diner was a real diner that Lucas would go to, and it went out of business before the movie. And then, of course, the success of the movie meant the kids of the owner opened up a chain of restaurants, Mel's Diner chain. That's really interesting. Uh, the, I was wondering the, about that the waitresses on roller skates and I did love in, in this recent watching like so I've I, like you Connor I, I mean I've seen it in less than 20 years like yeah. but I hadn't seen it probably haven't watched it for at least 10 years or so I didn't realize that like everybody was kind of after the waitress at Mel's like that Buddha yeah. Terry was like was trying to ask her out and then when Steve and, and Lori broke up and Steve was kind of like you know pouting in his milkshake Buddha comes over and is like why don't you come over after after I get off and like it's like oh what's going on here <laughs> like <laughs> there's so many layers to this movie and it's just so personable and so relatable and it's real it's real that's the thing well at the same time it's not it's not like this it's not the sitcom kind of american graffiti one it is much more realistic for lack of a better word the characters in it aren't all like perfect you know like like you you see it's funny because you see i want to call him opie cunningham because i heard it once and it makes me laugh every time but you uh, see opie cunningham and you think well he he's the good yeah it was eddie murphy yep you see him and he, you know you think oh that he's the good guy and he's like no he's he's not like he's just a regular sort of dude who's trying to 
see who he can sleep with. You know, he's not he, he actually might have the you, least but... amount of screen time, actually, of uh, all of them. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. yeah, there's a lot going on. You know, Harrison Ford is charming as hell in it, in the very little time he has. You recognize faces. Like, the, the head of the, the gang, the Pharaohs, was a face I recognized. Yeah. Lindsay picked out Kathleen Quinlan Kathleen in the Kathleen Quinlan is like, there, yeah. Which then she goes on to do Apollo 13, directed by Opie Cunningham. Yeah. Suzanne Summers. Right, mm-hmm. and very briefly seen in the movie. Yeah. This was really Mackenzie Phillips's kind of breakout, too, as a yeah. teen. She was amazing. Yeah. yeah, she's great. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was good. I'm glad we all liked it. It was a really nice little film. And I don't say that as a derogatory term, but it was a nice little film. Yeah. In what, the best way. What, yeah. When they go to the sock hop, when they go to the, the freshman dance at high school, which is so like going like you're going forward by going backward, like kind of thing. Lame. But um, and Richard Dreyfus strolls out and, and meets up with the teacher uh, yeah. is having a cigarette outside. And then and like it's clearly the teacher is oh. sleeping with students. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Super creepy. Yeah. It's clearly knocked up a student. You know what, though? Yeah. yeah. It really was presented in such a way that was more modern than anything else. Like yeah, yeah. talking to this guy and he's kind of cool. And then he goes and does something just like, ugh. Yep. And I don't know if I'm putting a modern spin on that, but I don't think I am. It didn't yeah. seem like it was an acceptable thing. Even just him going out and having a cigarette with him is like jarring now. You're like, oh my God. Yeah. There's a lot going on that one night in Modesto. Mm-hmm. A, lot, a lot of things happening. Bo Hopkins Which I, was the uh, actor who played Joe from the Pharaohs, the yep. lead of the gang. Yeah. Hey, those are multicultural gang too, by the way. It was like, yeah, it was. Yeah. He was yeah. white. That. They were Latino. Again, that's the region. That was yeah. that was true to the region. Yeah. There was actually a non-white actor in this. He was a criminal, but <laughs> he was really, he wasn't a guy in brown makeup. So it's something. Yeah. And this was this was supposed to be Paul Lamatt. Milliner was a was a breakout from this as well. Everyone thought he was going to be a huge star, and he had a pretty. I mean, he worked. I mean, he had a pretty decent career, but it, it didn't really break out as much as that. What did Paul Lamatt do after this? Not much. I mean, he did a lot. I, keep, but I kept expecting every time I watched it, I'm like, what happened to that dude? And you're like, oh, not not a lot. He has worked a lot, but nothing. He worked a lot, but nothing. You he but, did a lot of yeah. TV movies and TV series and miniseries. A lot of TV work. Murder. She wrote Twilight yeah. Zone. He was on Lonesome Dove for a while. TV actor. The series. Yeah. He was in American History X. Yeah. And uh, yeah. that's about it. Chris Under yeah. Fire. Yeah. So I, I really liked watching it. I thought it was terrific. I mean, I've seen it before, but I hadn't really sat down and watched it thoroughly in a review kind of way. And it was really fun. Cool. I'm glad yeah. you guys liked it. Glad that was my pick. So who's picking the next movie? Who's picking the next old men on old movies? Yeah. We'll figure that out. It's a monthly show, so we'll do it a couple of times. Yeah, we should do it quarterly. I'm, I'm down with that. I'm like, okay. Once a quarter. I don't know if Josh is into it, but after reading Big, Good, Big Goodbye, I'm planning a Chinatown watch. So that would, you know that could keep it the same 70s theme, but by no means do I need to force it on you guys. So. Lindsay watched that uh, a couple of months ago, and I watched like half of it with her. Like I came in and she'd been watching it. I have not seen it since like I was a teenager. So I'm excited oh, to watch wow. it with more adults, you know, more learned eyes, as it were. Well, mm-hmm. when we decide well, the next time we're going to do an old man and old movies, we'll let you know ahead of time, usually on the Pick of the Week show, which is our weekly comics show that Josh and I review comics. We have our bi-monthly Booksploded and Talksploded shows. Ron has All About Android, which comes out weekly somehow. Tuesdays. Somehow there's enough to talk about with phones. So much. We have to cut things. <laughs> yeah. So those are all the shows. We'll be back next month with more Media Explode, and we'll let you know next time we're going to talk about an old movie. And until then, I am Connor. I'm Ron. That would make me Josh. Get in your hot rod, Josh, and go. Just go. Like I'm not relating to Terry the Toad more than anyone's. <laughs> at least at that age. When the clock strikes 12, we'll cool off and start a rock and round.